With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Babakama Daf Kuf Yud page 114. We begin on the fourth line, Amar Avashi. Ravashi says, and this is a continuation of the previous statement, we said that if there's a single witness, he's not allowed to testify in a Kuthai court. If they're going to, based on his testimony, they're going to take away money from a Jew and give it to a Kuthai, because since in a Jewish court, a single witness is not good, so therefore, he's doing something, he's causing a situation which is not lawful. So therefore, we would place such a person in a ban, it's not permitted to do that. Now Ravashi says as follows, Kiavina be Rav Kahana, it should be, when we were in the yeshiva of Rav Kahana, Ibailan, there was a question as follows, Adam Chashiv, the Samche Lekebetre. Let's say there's a very important person, and the Kuthai court, even though ordinarily an important Kuthai court, does not depend on a single witness, they usually require two witnesses, but since this person is very important, he's somebody who everyone knows is dependable, they believe him just as much as they believe two witnesses, so if you would go to a Kuthai court, so they would take money away from one person. And by Jewish law, that's an illegitimate way to take away money. So therefore, do we say that he should not testify in the Kuthai court, since they would believe him, and take away money from someone uh, unlawfully? Perhaps, since he's an important person, so he's not going to be able to get away from the courts. They're going to require him to come. And therefore, it would be okay if he testified in fact. We're not going to place a ban on him. Take with Umar says, we don't have an answer for this question. Amar Ravashi, Ravashi says, Let's say you have a Jew who sells a piece of land to a non-Jew, and it's on the border of a Jew, his friend. So we place the Jew who sold this piece of land to the non-Jew in a ban. My time, what's the reason? So, and before we continue, it's important to understand that there's a concept of bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah means that if there are two pieces of land, imagine you have two squares next to each other. One square of property belongs to Reuven, and one square of property which is next to belongs to Shimon. They border each other. Now, if Reuven wants to sell his piece of land, the first person that has rights to buy the piece of land is Shimon. So now, Reuven, instead of selling it to Shimon, instead of giving Shimon an opportunity to buy it, so he stole, sold it to a non-Jew. So the question is, when he sells it to a non-Jew, does that also involve this halacha, this concept, that the person who lives on the border has the first rights to it? So the Gemara says, my time, what's the reason why we place the Jew who sold it to the non-Jew in a ban? If it's because of the concept of the bar mitzvah, of the, the person who's on the border has the first rights, we know that Mar said, whether one is buying from a non-Jew, or whether one is selling to a non-Jew, so in both cases, the person whose field is on the border does not have the first dibs to that purchase. So the Gemara over there in Baba Metziah explains that the reason is as follows, because the whole reason why we require that the person who's buying, it's an obligation on the person who's buying a piece of land, to look around and say, look, the other guy who has the bordering property, I should really allow him to have the first opportunity to buy this piece of land. Why? Because the verse says, that there's an obligation on a Jew to, to do what's right, to do what's good. So now, when a Jew buys from another Jew, so he has that obligation, but a non-Jew, he's not bound by the verse, to do the ultimate good thing. Could be he can choose to do that, but he's not bound by that verse. So therefore, when a non-Jew buys it from a Jew, so there's no obligation to check up if the person who's on the border also wants to buy it. And when a Jew buys it from a non-Jew, also there's no obligation. And the Gemara there explains, and Rashi explains there, that the concept is because I am doing you a favor, because by buying it from the non-Jew, so I'm taking away the threats that existed previously to your property, as we're about to see. 
So the Gemara says, so what's the problem over here? We find that there's no problem of Bar Mitzvah. The person who's on the border, he doesn't have first dibs. So when a Jew sells it to a non-Jew, why are we placing him in an excommunication? So Gemara explains like this. Elada Amrina, we say like this. Amrina, we say, That the person who is there on the border, he was left there now, next to this non-Jew who's bought it. So he says, listen, you brought a lion onto my borders. And therefore, what we do is, we put the person who sold it into a ban at the until he accepts upon himself any negative ramifications of the fact that this non-Jew is now on the border with the Jew. We begin the next Mishnah. Not like as chamay, right? If let's say tax collectors took his collateral, one's donkey, and when they returned it, so they actually gave him a different donkey, someone else's donkey. Not let's say robbers took his clothing, and then when they returned it, they gave him someone else's clothing. It's permitted to keep them, because the original owners of this thing gave up hope on these things already. So therefore, you have Yehush, you have the giving up hope, you have the transfer of possession into your possession, it's permitted to keep. Let's say somebody saves something from a river or from a group of soldiers. them or from robbers. If the original owners had given up, the person knows for sure. He heard them say, "Oi ve, I lost my money." So then it's permitted for the person who's found it or saved it to keep it. And similarly, in regards to a beehive. So even though this is the shot from the Tesis Yamtiv, even though a beehive normally does not have the ability for someone to possess it, the sages instituted that one could possess it. So despite the fact that it's not fully possessed by the original owner, even in Nisiyashu only if the original owner has given up hope on it, is one permitted to keep it if he has saved it. says, since this is only owned Midarabanan from the sages, so the sages also instituted that even though a woman or a minor is not normally believed for testimony, nevertheless in this case they would be believed to say, if it's something that they said in their conversation, just by the way, that this is a bihar that belongs to so-and-so, they would be believed. It's permitted for somebody to go into someone else's field to save his group of bees. And if he causes damage in the process, he has to pay for the damage that he's caused. The Tanakhama holds that if, let's say, all the bees have swarmed onto a single branch, and instead of trying to get them one by one, he knows they're going to all fly away. So what he wants to do is he wants to chop down this branch and bring it to his house and bring the bees back to the beehive. So you can't chop it down with the intention that in the future I'm going to pay for the damage that I caused. That's not permitted. Rishma, the son of Rabbi Yechem says, no, it would in fact be permitted, just like you can walk into someone else's property in order to save your bees, you can also chop down one of his branches in order to bring your bees home. We begin the Gemara. Tana, we learned in Abraisa, not like our Mishnah. If let's say you took a donkey, they originally took your donkey, but now they're giving you back someone else's donkey. So what you should do is you should actually return it to the original owners. Kasavar. So the first explanation of this Brisa is that the Brisa holds that when the taxpayer, when he took this animal, even though the original owners gave up on it, gave up hope, still it hasn't transferred into the possession of the taxpayer. It's considered it's a stolen object. And therefore, when it came to him originally, it came in a forbidden way. So if you accept the animal, you're doing something which is forbidden. 
There's an alternate explanation of this price, so that it's not a contradiction to our Mishnah. And that what it's really coming to say is as follows. Let's say somebody wants to be he wants to, to beyond the letter of the law, so he returns it to the original owners. And Rashi points out that he returns it to the original owners as opposed to giving it back to the tax collectors. My time was the reason. Because the understanding here would be like this, that when the original owners gave up a hope on it, indeed it does get acquired by the tax collectors. Me, however, if the person desires to, he can say, I'm not interested in having something which doesn't really belong to me. So therefore what it'll do is it'll give it back to the original owners. The Gemara continues with a quote from the Mishnah. We said in the Mishnah that a person can keep an item that was given to him by the tax collectors or by a robber. Because the original owners have given up. Amaravashi, Saravashi says as follows. This that we're talking about is only if the thief is a non-Jew. Of a list in Israel. But if the thief is a Jew, then you can't assume that they've given up. Because if a Jew steals from another Jew, so the Jew who got stolen from will say to himself, I'm going to bring him to a Jewish court tomorrow and I'll get my money back. So therefore he doesn't give up. Or I'll get my, whatever, my clothing back. So Rav Yosef says, hold on a second. I have a very important question to ask you. And the other way around. The other way makes sense. Akum, a non-Jew, did daini begiti, where when the court rules something, a non-Jewish court, so they're going to force the guy to, to give it back, let's say. So the Jew's not going to give up because he's going to say to himself, I'm going to bring that non-Jew to court. So therefore, you can't assume that when a non-Jew steals it, the Jew gives up hope. Yisrael, but if a Jew steals from a Jew, came in the Amri, Mamer, since the way the Jewish court works, is that they don't actually beat you up if you don't listen to the court. They just, you know, they let it go. They say to you, you gotta, you got to pay. Miyayish, so then the Jew's going to give up hope. Eloi, et mara sefei mara. So the Gemara says, it must be that this statement was made on the second half of the Mishnah. It says, if someone saves an object that was taken by a non-Jew, by a thief, so the indication is, only if the owners have given up hope, only if we know for a fact that they've given up hope, only then is one permitted to keep it. But the indication is, if one is not aware, we can assume that they have not given up hope. So now on this, this is where Ravashi said his statement. This is only in regards to a non-Jew mission to Dainabigiti. Because the courts, they're going to force a person, a non-Jew, to pay back the thing that was stolen. They're going to beat him up if he doesn't do it. If I'll list him, Yisrael. But if the person who stole was a Jew, Kevin the Amri Mamer, since the Jewish court, all they do is they tell him to return it, but they don't force him, they don't beat him up. So then the Jew is going to give up hope, the one who got stolen from. And therefore, until you know for a fact that he's given up, you can't assume that you can keep it. We learned over there in the Mishnah. If let's say you have a piece of leather that belongs to a house owner. So in regards to impurity, something having the ability to contract impurity, that only happens if we're talking about a utensil, something that's used by a person that's completed. So at which point is this thing considered completed? Because let's say you have a piece of leather, so theoretically you could use it as a sheet on a bed, and therefore it would be completed, or you could cut it up and use it to make shoes. So it's not completed now as it, when it's a big sheet of leather. So when it comes to a balabais, somebody who's a house owner, so his thought, so just his thought alone, that he thinks to himself, I'm using this for a sheet on my bed, that completes the act, meaning it's completed, it's considered that it is now a sheet, and therefore can now contract toma, can contract impurity. Vishal Avzan, however, if it's still in the possession of the person who works the leather, so even if the person is working it, he's the craftsman, and he thinks about, okay, I'm gonna, I want this to be for a sheet, since he's the one who sells it, therefore it's not really up to him what it's going to end up being used for, so therefore it does not yet contract toma, it's not considered a completed utensil, because it could be changed very easily by whoever buys it.
shell goslin. Let's say there's a piece of leather that a person has stolen. A goslin is somebody who steals in front of the people he's stealing from. So the Tanakhama holds that whatever he thinks is not the final thought. Whatever he thinks about this thing does not create it to be a final utensil if he decides he wants to use it for a sheet on his bed. Why? Because Rashi explains because since the people know who stole it from them, so they're expecting to take him to court. They haven't given up hope on their piece of leather and therefore the goslin is not considered his. It hasn't transferred into his possession. Ganov, but the Tanakam holds in regards to somebody who's stolen it, not in front of the people he stole it from. So the people who have been stolen from, they don't know who stole it from them. So they don't know who is going to, who they can bring to court. So then it's considered that it's transferred into the possession of this thief. And therefore, whatever he thinks about it, if he thinks I want it to be a sheet, so now it will, will be able to contract impurity. Rabbi Shimon, I mean, Rabbi Shimon says, the exact opposite. Shell Gazlon, when it's stolen from the people in front of the people who were stolen from. So then the people see who stole from them, they couldn't prevent them from taking it, they never think they're going to get it back either. So therefore they give up hope, so now this thief, it's considered it's transferred into his possession, and whatever he thinks about it is going to be the final thought, it's going to create that this thing is a utensil, if he thinks that it's completed. Shelganov, however, if he's a thief, and he did it behind their backs, they don't know who stole from him, so they don't know who stole, they don't give up hope on it, and therefore his thoughts will not create the final status of this thing, and make it possible for it to contract impurity. As we said, because the owners have not given up hope. Amar Ula. Ula says, Is this argument between the sages and Rabbi Shimon? It's talking about a case where we're not sure if the person who got stolen from has actually given up hope or not. But if we know for sure that the original owners gave up hope, everyone will agree, both Rabbi Shimon and the sages will agree that the thief has indeed acquired this object. Rabbi says, That actually, no. Even in a case where we know for sure that he's given up hope, they will still argue. And the understanding of it is that despite the fact that he says he's given up hope, his real intention is to bring this guy to court and to get his object back. You shouldn't really argue with Ula because what does it say in this Mishnah? It sounds like him. It says that the reason that it doesn't transfer into the possession of the thief is because they have not given up hope. It's only because they haven't given up hope. The indication is if we knew that they gave up hope, it would indeed belong to the thief. So how could you say that they still argue even if we know that he gave up hope? It's not true. So he responded and said, The version of the mission that I have, says Rabbah, is not that the reason that it doesn't belong to the thief is because we don't know or we assume that he didn't give up hope. But rather, it's because he can't give up hope. Even if he does, we don't assume that his giving up hope is really significant because we assume, as we said, that he really intends to bring the guy to court and get his object back. We learned in our Mishnah. We said in the Mishnah two different cases. One's a case which seems to be a case of a gazan, a tax collector who takes money from you or takes a donkey from you, gives it to another person. So he's called, he's stolen. He's stolen, he's done it in front of you. And, and then we have a second case which is a case of listim, which is a, like a ganav. He's someone who steals that behind your back. Or at least that's the happening of the Gemara. So we see that both cases, we, we assume that the person who's been stolen from has given up hope. Money. So who is this like? Ir Abanan, 
Kashagazan, according to the sages, so they hold that in a case where it was done in front of you, you haven't given up hope. So it doesn't come out like the Rabban in our Mishnah. Irib Shimon, if it's Rib Shimon, Kashagan, if he holds that in a case where it was done behind your back, that's the case where you haven't given up hope. So our Mishnah doesn't seem to be like either one. Bishlam al-Ula, so the Gemara says, according to Ula, it could work out fine. Da Amar Biyadua Kani, because he holds that the sages and Rib Shimon agree that in a case where we know for sure that he's given up hope, that it hasn't indeed transferred to the thief. So Hachanam Biyadua, so we could say over here that the reason that you can keep the thing that's given to you by this thief, by the, either the thief or the tax collector, is because you know for a fact that the original owner has given up hope. When you know for a fact, then you can keep it. So it will be according to everyone. But according to Rabbi who says that even in the case where we know for sure, they still argue. How money? So who is our mission going to be like? It doesn't work out neither like the sages nor like Rabbi Shimon. The Gemara answers, but listen to We can answer this question by saying that we're talking about a case where, what's the listen to case? It's not talking about where they, they stole behind the person's back. But rather the listen that we're talking about, these thieves, they were armed robbers. They did it in front of the people. Rabbi Shimon, and therefore, both cases are talking about a case where it's being done in front of the person. It works out like Rib Shimon, because Rib Shimon holds that in the case where it's done in front of the person, so the person who it's stolen from, he gives up hope. So the Gemara says, hold on a second. So then we have the same exact case twice. The first case of the tax collector, he's considered someone who's stealing in front of him. And the second case is also, we're saying now, that the list of these thieves are armed robbers. So he's also doing it in front of him. So the Gemara answers, it's not a problem, it's just two different types of gazlan, or two different types of thieves, and they're not precisely the same thing. Toshima, the Gemara continues with another possible way of showing whether Rabba or Ula is correct. Uh, thief, these two different types of thieves. So we're going to put them in the same exact co- category. An anas is a type of person who, who forces somebody to sell something to him. He pays for it, but against the person's will. Hektesh and hektesh, all three of these types of people, once they've acquired it, it's considered theirs. And if they donate it to the temple, it's considered a good donation. Trumas and truma, if they take off truma to get to the priest, the donation to the priest is considered a good taking off. My sirs and my sir, taking off their time is considered a good taking off. Money. So who is this like Irabon and Kasha Gazlan? If it's like the sages, so we have a problem from the case of a Gazlan, because according to them, so if we're talking about a thief who did it in front of them, the sages hold that the, the original owners have not given up hope, so it hasn't transferred into the possession. Here we see it has. Irib Shimon. So if this is going like Rib Shimon, Kasha Ganov, we have a problem in the case where it was stolen behind their backs, because according to him, then they also haven't given up hope, and therefore it doesn't fit into this case. Here we see that it's considered that it has transferred into the possession of the person who stole it. So Bishlam al according to Ula, it works out very well. The, the Amr Biyadua Kani, that he holds that everyone agrees in a case where we know for sure it has indeed transferred into the possession of the thief because we know that he's given up hope, the original owner. We can say the same thing over here, the cases where we know that it's given up hope. And that's why whatever he does is considered done. It's going to everyone. According to Rabbah who says that even where we know for sure that he's given up hope, the, both Rabbi Shimon and the sages still argue Harmony. So who's this going to come out like? Like Rabban of Shimon. It doesn't work out neither like the sages nor like Rabbi Shimon. So Gemara answers. We listen to the Zoom. We can say over here as well that when we talk about a Ghana of a person who stole, it doesn't mean a person who stole behind his back, but rather it means an armed robber. Rib Shimon here again. It's going to be Rib Shimon who holds that in a, in the case of an armed robber, someone who's done it in front of him, that the original the original owners give up hope. So Gemara says, hold on. Again, this is the same exact case as the first case. Gemara says, It's two different types. Two different subcategories of Goslin. 
possibility, we could say that this Mishnah goes according to Rebbe, the Tanya, because we have a Brisa. Rebbe holds that a Ganov, whether it's done behind the person's back or whether it's a Gazan, someone who does it in front of him, they have the same halacha. What does that mean? What's the halacha that he holds like? So we turn to Kofiudal on base, page 114b. He means that they both have the halacha of a Gazlan like Rebbe Shimon. Rebbe Shimon holds that by a Gazlan, a person who did it in front of him, the original owners give up hope. So Rebbe holds that in both cases, whether we're talking about where it's on behind his back or in front of him, the original owners give up hope. So therefore we can explain that this Brisa is going according to Rebbe, who indeed holds that a Ganav and a Gazlan, both of these two different types of thieves, it's considered that the original owners have given up hope, and therefore it's transferred into the possession of the thief. Gufa. So we just said like this, Rebbe, Amir Rebbe says, Oymerani, I say, Ganav ke Gazlan, that a person who steals behind the backs of the people he's stealing from is the same thing as if he stole it from in front of them. So we ask a question on this statement, which we already know the answer for because we just said it, but here's the piece that goes through it piece by piece. As follows. Does he mean that a ganav, a, a person who steals behind the person's back, and a person who steals in front of the person, so it's the same, and it's like the sages, and therefore they haven't given up hope, and the person who's the thief does not acquire it? Or perhaps, when he says that they're the same, he's saying that they're both like the gazlan, the thief who did it in front of him, of Rib Shimon. And he holds that in fact they have given up hope, and therefore the thief has indeed acquired it. Tashimah. So we try to bring a proof from the following case. We said in our mission two different cases. One's a case where it's the tax collector where he's still in front of him. One's a case of listem of a thief that it would seem is doing it behind his back. Both of the cases we say that it's considered that he's given up hope and therefore you can take it. So money. So who is this like? If it's the sages, so they hold that in the case of a gazlan what was done in front of him that the people haven't given up hope. Here we're saying that they have. So if it's Shimon, so he holds that in the case where it was done behind their back that they also haven't given up hope. And therefore, that's not like the Mishnah either. Now, so if we say that it's it's indeed like Rebbe, who holds that they're the same, and Rebbe is saying that the that both a Ganav, if he's done it behind his back or in front of him, they're both the same, and they're like Reb Shimon, Vikani, and they've given up hope, and therefore the thief has acquired it, Hamani Rebbe. So then we can say that the Mishnah is Rebbe. And that it would be why in both cases, we know that they've given up hope, and therefore the person who's finding it can acquire it. But if we say that Rebbe is saying that both a Ganav and a Gazan are the same, and the way the sages say a Gazan is, which is that the owners have not given up hope, and therefore the thief has not acquired it, how money? So then who does our mission work out like? Like Rebbe, like Rebbe Shimon, like Rebbe it doesn't work out like anyone. So Gemara says it's not a good proof. Because we could just as well say that the mission is talking about a case when it talks about a thief, like we said previously, that it's a thief who's an armed robber. And therefore both cases are talking about a case of a gazlan, someone who's doing it in front of him, stealing from in front of the person he's stealing from. And it's like a Shimon who holds that they have indeed given up hope. So Gemara says, like we said, then it's exactly the same one. We need two different cases for. It's the same exact case. Gemara says, no, trade God and the gazlan. It's not precisely the same case. There are two different shades of gazlan. One's where it's being done armed, and one's being done where, where he's not armed. So now the Gemara offers another possibility. Perhaps we can prove it from here. Toshima, anos. Come in here. If there's a thief who's done it behind his back, who stole behind his back, or stole in front of him, Vaha'anas was again the case where someone forced someone else to sell it to them, they gave him money. Hektesh and Hektesh, it's transferred into the possession. If they try to give it over to the temple, it works. So Chumas and Chumas, they take off the special donation to the, to the priest, it works. Meiser is saying Meiser. If they take off the tithe, it works. Money, 
So who does this work out like? It's saying that they're both the same and it's both considered that it's transferred into the possession of the thief. He rabbon and kasha gazan. Again, it's the sages, so then we have a problem with the case where, where the thief did it in front of his face because according to the sages, the, the original owners have not given him hope. Here we see that they have. E rib shimin, kasha ganav. If it's rib shimin, so we have a problem with the case where it was done behind their backs because he holds it. In that case, they haven't given him hope. And here we're saying that they have. Iyamis bishlama ganav ki gazan rib shimin. If we said like we said earlier, that a ganav, when we say, when Rebbe says that a ganav is like a gazlon, that the thief who does it behind the back is considered like the one who does it in front of him, and it's like the one who does it in front of him, of Rebbe Shimon Ka'amar. That's what he means to say. And therefore, it is considered that he transferred into his possession because the owners have given up hope. We understand what's going on here. That's why this person who stole it has indeed, whether he's done it in front of them or not in front of him, it transferred into his possession. But if he means to say that the ganav and the gazlon are the same, like the gazlon of the rabbanon, the sages, meaning it hasn't transferred into his possession, how money? So it doesn't work out like anyone. Again, we could say that over here, when we talk about a ganav, the one who's doing it behind his back, he doesn't mean he's done it behind his back. It's a different type of gazla. It's a different type of person who's doing it in front of him. A thief who's armed. Rib Shimon, he is Rib Shimon. Like we said previously, Sigmar says, and it's exactly the same case, the first two cases. The says, no, trade Gavni Gazan is two different shades of thieves. So Ravashi says to Rabbi as follows, Toshima, I'll bring you proof. Because Rebbe said over the Brisa, which we mentioned previously, to Reb Shimon his son, that in the Mishnah when it says that when a father gave over something to his kids that has achrayus, has responsibility, it doesn't mean literally something that has responsibility, which is usually referring to a piece of land. Even if it's a cow and he's using it to plow, or it's a donkey that he's using the, the way donkeys are used. So, in any event, so the child has to return it to the original owners. Why? The reason is because of the honor of their father. So, the indication here is that we're talking about a case, whether we're talking about it, it was stolen by the father in a, in a way that was in front of the owners, or whether it was behind their backs, it, it only has to be returned because of the fact that there's an honor factor for the father. But if not for that, no, it wouldn't be necessary, meaning the father is transferred into his possession. So we see that when Rebbe says that a Ganav and a Gazan are the same, whether the person stole it in front of him or behind his back, he's saying it's the same as the one who did it in front of him of Rebbe Shimon. Because according to Rebbe Shimon, it's considered that it's been transferred out of his possession because the original owners have given up hope on it. So therefore, that's what we see from here. It's a good proof. We said in the Mishnah that a similar halach would apply in regards to a beehive or a swarm of bees that until you know that the owner has given up hope, you can't take it. So the Gemara says, what does it mean, similarly? What's the novelty here? This is what we mean to say. Even in the case of a beehive or a swarm of bees, the which is only owned from the sages, meaning from the Torah, you can't own a swarm of beehives. So you would have thought to say like this, Hi, this guy, since it's only owned from the sages, so this is slightly different than I understood in the Mishnah. The Gemara is saying is like this, that since the owner owns it, only a weak type of owning, it's only from the sages. So we could theoretically assume that being that he has such a weak hold on it, so as soon as he finds out about it, so he's going to give up hope, and therefore we have every right to assume that he's given up hope. Kamash Malan, that's what's coming to teach you, no. In That until you know for a fact that he's given up hope, you do in fact have to assume that he has not given up hope. Says, we said in the Mishnah, we said that a woman or a minor is believed to say that a certain beehive came from a certain place. 
The Gemara says, Is it true that a woman or a minor can say testimony? What's the case over here? That we have something upon which to stand. Meaning the owners were running after and saying, That's my beehive, that's my swarm of bees. And when this woman or this minor are speaking, they're speaking by the way. They weren't, they didn't plan to say any kind of testimony. They were saying that this is where the beehive came from. So then they have believability. In a different context, Ravashi said, The only time that we find that if someone is speaking by the way that it's going to be a proper Eidus testimony, even though it wasn't meant as testimony, is only in regards to the testimony in regards to a woman to find that the woman's husband passed away. And therefore she's permitted to marry someone else. We find in our Mishnah, in regards to a case where the woman or the minor is talking about a beehive or a swarm of bees, they're just talking by the way. And, and we see that they are believed. So our answer is different in the case of a beehive, the Kenyan Derabanunu, because the original ownership of that beehive or the swarm of bees was only from the sages, and therefore the sages said that they would also be believed, a woman or a minor, in this type of circumstance. The Gemara says, Is it true that if it wasn't a proper testimony, if it was just talking, by the way, it won't have a ramification, we won't be able to apply that in regards to something which has a lacha from the Torah. There was a story with a certain person, he wasn't saying testimony, but he was talking just by the way. I remember when I was a little kid, my father once took me, put me on his shoulders, took me out of school, we went, I took off my clothes, and I went into the mikvah, to the ritual bath, so I would be able to eat that evening from truma, which was a special food that was only for the Kohanim, for the priests. finished off the story as follows, that the guy said that my, my friends... They separated themselves from me. But Yukarin, I see Yochan and Eichel Chalas. He's referred to me as Yochan, the one who ate the Chalas, which was a special thing that was given only to the Kohanim, to the priests. So even though the guy wasn't testifying, so since it was said just by the way, so Rebbe believed him and he said, this guy's a Kohen. So what do we see? We see that even though it's something that has a ramification from the Torah, to eat truma, so it's something which is only can be done if, if this guy's really a Kohen. So we see that the, that the fact that he was speaking by the way, it was believed. So we see that this, tes- this type of thing is considered a testimony in regards to other things as well. Our answer is, We're talking about a case. What did Rabbi say that he could do? He could eat truma, only the priestly things that are only from the sages. But something that was the oraisa from the Torah, he wouldn't be able to. So the Gemara says, Is it true that we wouldn't be able to use this type of testimony where someone is just speaking by the way, not intending to testify? We can't use it for a case of something which is from the Torah. When Rav Dimi came, he said in the name of Chana from this place called Kartiga, And those who say that Rav Acha Kartiga was involved in telling of the story, Maybe there was a story where something happened in front of Yeshua and Levi. And there are those who say it actually came in front of Rebbe. There was a certain child. They was talking, by the way, and he said like this, I and my mother were captured by non-Jews. When I would go out to draw water, I would always be looking at my mother. Whenever I would go out to gather wood, I would always be involved 
making sure that my mother was okay. You see, Rebbe Alpiv Likahuna, and based on this talking, which was done just by the way, so Rebbe assumed, he, he believed this child, and he said that this woman is allowed to marry a Kohen, and a, and a Kohen is not allowed to marry a woman who had been captured by non-Jews and violated. So we see over here that we do indeed believe even a child who's speaking just by the way. Umar says, Bishfuya Hikilu. It was a special leniency that we have in regards to a woman who was captured. The, the fact that we even think in the first place that she might have been violated is only a suffix, it's only a doubt. So we can take away the doubt through this type of testimony, which is a very weak testimony, which is when a child is speaking by the way. We said in the Mishnah that if a person wants to save his swarm, so he's not permitted to walk into someone else's field and then to go and cut down the person's branch that his swarm is upon. Tanya, the son of said that it is permitted. Tonight, Besanhu, there's a condition that the courts made way, way, way back, 3,300 years ago, when the Jews entered into Israel. That a person is permitted to go down into his friend's field and to chop down the branch of his friend, in order to save his swarm of bees. And the person who's now lost his branch, so he can take the value of that branch from the swarm of bees that the guy saved, meaning from the value there. Vitnai Bezanhu, another condition that the courts made, let's say Reuven is walking along with his barrel of wine, and Shimon is walking along with his barrel of honey, and the, the barrel of honey cracks, and Shimon is about to lose all of his honey. So honey is a much greater value than the, than the wine. So now Reuven goes, he pours out his wine in order to save the honey. So you do that. Now the person who lost his wine, he sacrificed his wine for this guy's honey, so he takes from the value of the honey the value of his wine, meaning he gets paid back for his loss. But tonight, best, another thing that the courts made a condition is, Let's say you have two guys walking along with their donkeys, one's carrying wood, one's carrying flax. So flax is a much higher value because it's going to be made into clothing. So if, let's say, the guy who's carrying the flax, his animal drops dead. So the one who has the wood on the, on, the, on the back of his animal, so he can undo the wood, leave it there on the side, and pick up the flax of his friend to help him get there. And he can take the value of his wood that he lost from the value of the flax. With this condition, so Yehoshua, Joshua, when he originally gave over the land of Israel to the Jewish people, this was one of the conditions that it was given over with. We begin the next Mishnah. Hamaker Kalov Viswar Let's say somebody says, hey, that's my book, that's my, my stuff, what's it doing in your house? And indeed, the person who's claiming that it's his stuff, so everyone knows that he got robbed. So So the guy who has the stuff, so he has to swear that in fact, he bought it from whoever it was that had stolen it. Vigito. So then the person who bought it, he gets his money back from the person who it originally belonged to. And then the person who it originally belonged to can take it back. Vim lav, lav And if he doesn't pay him, meaning if the person who got robbed doesn't pay the person who now has it, he doesn't have the right to take back his thing. Shani Because we say that clearly what happened was the person who got stolen from, it had gotten stolen. The person who stole it sold it to this guy. And this guy, he's, he has rights to it now because he paid for it. It's transferred into his possession. And therefore, the original owner, until he actually pays back the person who has it now, so he can't get it back.
important to point out, Rashi says that this is talking about even if the person who is claiming his things has not given up hope, nevertheless he still has to pay for it. And Tosis Yantav explains that there's a Takana Sashuk, a special decree that the sages made, that since the person who bought it didn't know, it looked, looked like it was regular wares that were being sold in the marketplace, i.e. a place where, how could he possibly know? It's completely out of his control. So therefore we're not going to take away the money from the guy who bought it, but rather we say to the, the person who got stolen from, you're the one who has to lose out. We begin the Gemara. If there's a rumor going around that this guy has been robbed, what do we care? Why don't we? Why aren't we concerned that perhaps this guy himself sold it? And he's the one who's just spreading this rumor. He started the rumor. For example, the case was we're talking about where some people came into his house. And after they left, he got up and he was screaming in the middle of the night. And he says, my stuff was stolen, my stuff was stolen. We can certainly say in that case that those people actually had bought it. And he's just creating this thing because he feels bad that he sold the thing. And now he's just creating a pretext for him to be able to claim that indeed they stole it. Rav Kahana Messiah Bo Mishmei the Rav. So Rav Kahana finished off the Brisa in the name of Rav's files. For example, where there was a hole that was dug into his house, and some people are inside of his house, and everyone saw that they had these packages of stuff upon their, their shoulders. Everyone is saying, everyone knows that these guys were, were thieves, they were bandits, robbers, and they stole his stuff. So therefore, that's how we know, and that's the, the pretext for this claim. Vidilma Kalem Havu Svarmla Havzigmar says, if the claim, if the rumor that's going around is only about utensils that were stolen, so how can he claim anything about books? So he says in the name of Rabbi So the rumor is also going around, and it had started with books as well. Why don't we worry that perhaps they were small books, and he's claiming big books? So Rabbi says the Ka'amri that they're saying, say for plenty of plenty. They said specifically, the rumor began with specific items that were stolen. Maybe there were old books and now he's claiming new books. Everyone is saying, these are the things that belong to him. These are the books that belong to him. So the Gemara challenges it. Is it true that Rav said this? We find that Rav says elsewhere, let's say somebody digs a hole into one's house and he steals something. And then he leaves Potter. There's no obligation for him to pay back the thing that he stole in my time. What's the reason? Since it's an obligation to be killed, why? Because the Torah says that if someone's digging into your house, you're allowed to kill him. So therefore, you can never have a chiv misa, an obligation for death, at the same time as an obligation for monetary things. So therefore, he doesn't have an obligation to give back these things. He doesn't have an obligation to pay. So therefore, over here as well, if the guy went, he uh, drilled a hole into someone's house, he stole something and he sold it, so the people who have bought it, they wouldn't have an obligation to give it back to the original owner. That's only when someone acquired things by coming through the hole, because he originally uh, gave himself over to death. But in this case, since they didn't give themselves over to death, so it wouldn't be true. I think the understanding of why it's considered that they haven't given themselves over to death is because since they came in as a group, so it's very unlikely that any of them are going to get killed because they'll just take out the guy who's trying to kill them. We're only talking about a case where the ho- the homeowner who lost his stuff usually sells his stuff. But somebody who doesn't ordinarily sell his stuff, he doesn't have to be so specific that the rumor had gone around precisely which books were stolen. He can just claim that these were the stolen books, 
and he'll be believed. So the Gemara says, Just because he doesn't ordinarily sell it doesn't mean that he didn't sell it in this case. Maybe here he did, because he needed money. And Ravashi, so Ravashi answers, No, because the case is talking about, indeed, where there's a rumor that things have been stolen from him. Therefore, we can assume that he's telling the truth that this is the thing that had been stolen.